Hey, welcome to the Kingdom Church Podcast. So glad you could join us. You're listening to part three of our series, Total Truth. So whatever you're doing, wherever you are, sit back, relax. Here it is. I want to begin in the Gospel of John today. And this is an exchange. Uh, Jesus is on trial, about to be crucified, and he speaks to Pilate. And so John chapter 18, verse 36, it says, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now, my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Pilate's response 2,000 years ago kind of sounded like a modern-day philosopher. He says, what is truth? What is truth? I want to call this message today, How Christianity Changed the World. And if you're a note-taker, you're here last week. This is also the truth that sets free, part two. So, hey, can we give Jesus a huge round of applause in this place? Come on, somebody. You guys can be seated. So glad that you could be here today. Uh, If you are new or visiting, my name is Harrison, and I'm just so glad that you could be here. Uh, We are in the midst of a series here at church right now called Total Truth. Total Truth. By just some noise, can you guys let me know who has been here for any parts of Total Truth? Couple people, come on, somebody. Anyone online been watching some stuff? Come on, Jake, fresh from Palm Springs, Kathy Ann. So glad. Uh, We uh, have been in a series, and uh, just to give you guys kind of a series recap, first off, I can't. So you gotta go and watch part one and two online. But in like the the shortest and simplest kind of recap of what we've been doing, uh, this exchange that we just looked at between Jesus and Pilate kind of gives us a glimpse into what this series is all about. Jesus has this idea. He says, literally, I have come to testify to the truth. So the premise of our series is this. When you follow Jesus, you actually have a picture, not just of partial truth, But what we have said is that Jesus gives us a picture of total truth. When I follow Jesus, it doesn't give me a picture for just certain parts of my life. It's not just like Sunday morning. He gives me an all-encompassing, full-on picture of the world. Does that sound familiar to some people? And so one of the things that we did last week, and again, I'm going to give, because I think for the purpose of today, you need to understand what we did last week. And so I'm going to actually give us a recap of last week, but it's going to be like a three-minute recap. And I preached last week for 51 minutes. So go back and watch the 51 minutes. Here's the three minutes so we're all on the same page. What we said last uh, week was that every single one of us, no matter who you are, all of us have a way in which we view the world. A Christian views the world a certain way. An atheist views the world a certain way. A New Age spiritualist views the world a certain way. All of us have a worldview. There is no one that does not have a worldview. And what we said, we said every worldview, whether they know it or not, consciously or subconsciously, views the world through the lens of three questions. We called it the creation question, the fall question, and the redemption question. Creation question, where do we come from? The fall question, what went wrong? Why is the world like this? And then the redemption question is, how will this get better? Now, these, if if you can put them on, I think I have a slide for it. These kind of look like very distinct Christian questions and and like uh, a biblical kind of way of looking at the world. But what we said, again, was that every single worldview answers these questions. And even more so, if they don't, they should. And so last week, we spent the majority of our time looking at what we called the biblical or the Christian worldview? How does the Christian answer these three questions? What we said was that Genesis chapter one, chapter two, and chapter three actually answer these questions for us. You guys remember in this, ringing some bells? If you remember, say, yeah, I remember a little bit. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. So creation question, where do we come from? 
Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created. So what we found out is that as a, as a Christian, as a believer, we actually believe that God created humanity. We didn't come from nowhere. We are not a mistake. We are not here by chance or a billion years of death and decay. We are here because there is a creator who actually has created us. And we said the implications of that are many. If you have a creator, automatically the creation has value and purpose and beauty. And so what that means in the biblical worldview, we view humanity, we view people as beautiful, created in the image of God. But all of us know this. Things have kind of looked good at times, but the world is never fully good. So the question is, what went wrong. Again, in the Genesis story, what we found out is that this thing happened in Genesis chapter 3 where sin, big world, enters, big word, enters the world. And what we said was that God gave Adam and Eve a choice. And every single one of us have a choice. We do not have to follow God. God will not make anyone follow him. We have a choice to obey or disobey. Adam and Eve, they chose to disobey. And so there's a principle that we learn that the further we move away from God, the worse we become. Pretty simple, and we call it, as, as believers, sin. Sin is to do that which God would call us not to do or to move in the opposite direction of God. And so that's what we see in Genesis chapter 3 is rebellion. However, what we also see, Genesis chapter 3, 15, Genesis 3, verse 15, God was not okay to just say, hey, what? You know what? You rebelled. You're going to die. This is it. We learned about what was called the first gospel, Genesis 3, 15, where God makes a promise that although humans have rebelled, he will make it right. The cross, come on, somebody, the cross of Jesus Christ was the ultimate display of him making it right. And so what we said is us as believers, we live in a place right now called the in-between. Sin and death have been defeated on the cross, yet the in-between is the time that we live in now before Jesus returns and everything will be redeemed fully and complete. Gosh, I got to sit down after that recap. You guys remember this? I'm not that, I'm not that tired. Calm down. Um, but I do have the chair because I'm going to get into a posture of teaching later, and I feel like this chair might help me. Uh, as I do that. So, does that ring a bell for anyone? Um, I really want everyone to be on the same page. Now, here's where I'm trying to go. Our job as believers is to take that worldview, that very like overtly scriptural language, and be able to view and understand the events of the world around us using that particular lens. And if you guys remember, we kind of briefly looked at the story of Damar Hamlin and kind of put it through uh, the lens of creation, fall, redemption. But what I want to do today is I want to go even deeper as we begin to build and understand what we're calling a biblical and or Christian world view. So there was a study done. Uh, University of North Carolina um, a number of years ago by sociologists, and I thought this study was so interesting. It was all um, in regarding Christians and then specific questions, like questions such as, like, do you believe the Bible is true, so on and so forth. But there were two questions in this um, study that stuck out to me. So all of these answers are just different branches of Christianity. So the first question that I thought was interesting was this. Have you committed your life to Jesus Christ? So evangelicals, 97% said yes. Fundamentalists, 91% said yes. Mainline Protestants, 82%. Liberal Protestants, 72%. Catholics, 67%. So, number percentage of those who said yes to committing their life to Jesus. Now, side note, interestingly enough, people still consider themselves Christians and or the denomination they're affiliated to, even if they wouldn't commit themselves to Jesus. Just a side note, I thought it was interesting. But second question, which really for today is where I want to go, was this. In the same interview, how important is it for you to defend a biblical worldview in intellectual circles? So this is the percentage of people that said this is very important. We want to be able to defend what we believe in our circles. Evangelicals, 63%. Fundamentalists, 65% said yes. Mainline Protestants, 46%. Liberal Protestants, 49%. And for whatever reason, I do not know, the Catholics were not polled. Just they pulled out of that question, I guess. Um, so here's what's interesting. Committed followers of Jesus, yes. Is it important for you to defend what you believe in intellectual circles. Now, the majority said yes, or at least close to the majority, but there were a handful of people 
that said, I believe in Jesus, and I don't care if I have to defend it or make it make sense, which to each their own. But here's the part I really want us to understand and lean into today. So for these people that said, yes, very important, when asked to articulate a biblical perspective on current events, not one person in the entire survey was able to do so. So in other words, they're saying, hey, it is so important for me to view the world through the lens of the Bible. The surveyor says, okay, do it. Not one of them could, which I think is a little bit crazy. So here's why and where it's relevant for us. Because essentially what the survey was doing was they would bring up a particular issue that was current in the culture. So for us in the last three years, there have been a whole lot of current events, right? Social things, political things. We've had in the last like three years alone, like social justice, right? Gender, equality, very recently, the whole abortion, Roe v. Wade. Whatever the issue would be, just think of those issues. Now, if someone were to ask you, can you explain these issues using a biblical world view? Now, in that survey, every single person said, no, not a clue. So today, and, and those that I just mentioned are a few of the kind of hot button issues. I'm sure there's more we could just <laughs> rattle off because we live in like the social media culture, so there's always something new. So whatever the current issue is in our life, our culture, the question I want us to ask ourselves today is this. Do I have a biblical framework to understand the world around me? Now, Listen to me very carefully. It is wrong is not a biblical world view. You guys understand what I'm saying? There's a current event. That's immoral. That is not a biblical world view. To have a biblical world view is not to see things in part. Now, there are issues that may actually be wrong and or immoral, but that is not a biblical worldview because that is only viewing something in part. To have a biblical worldview is to view an issue as and through the lens of the whole. In other words, how does creation, fall, redemption help me to understand the issue that is in front of me? And here's the cool part and why I'm just, I'm, if you don't know, I told you I love this kind of stuff. I'm so excited because I actually believe that the Bible does not hang us on an island to dry. It gives us an answer to understand not just what happened 2,000 years ago, but what happens today, tomorrow, and forever. Because God's word is eternal and it exists, although it was written in a specific time frame, it exists and makes sense in all time frames. So I do know, though, there are a bunch of people that said, Harrison, I get it. Issues are great. But brother, you just got to preach the word. Just stick to the gospel. Preach the good news. We don't need to get into this intellectual stuff. We don't need to get into the weeds. Just talk about Jesus, his death, his resurrection. Now listen, I understand and I do believe that my job is primarily to preach the gospel and to save souls. But I love what Charles Malik, the theologian and philosopher, says. He says this. He says, the problem is not only to win souls, but to save minds. If you win the whole world, look at this, and lose the mind of the world, you will soon discover you have not won the world. Super important. If I only get someone at a heart level, but I never connected to their mind, I will soon find I haven't actually won the world. You see, we live in a time like never before. Like literally like never before, where we are being bombarded by information, by statistics, by facts, by worldviews, by people that sometimes have maybe something good to say. Other times, it's just some person on TikTok that rolled up into your algorithm. And so for a lot of us, we are being formed every single day by a whole bunch of different people, different thoughts. And you know this, and I know this, whatever current event it is that pops up, every single one of us exists in some kind of algorithm that tells us how to think. The question is this, does how I think line up with what scripture says? And more so, do I actually have a biblical worldview? Look what Jesus says. He says, I was born and I came into the world to testify to the truth. This is important. When Jesus came, he did not invent truth. 
Truth has been there from the beginning. That's what he said. What my job is, Jesus is saying, is to testify to that which has always been true. Truth does not change. Why? Because it's truth. Our job is to understand what is true. He says, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. You see, this is important because a lot of times we boil down the way of Jesus to just strictly morality. The way of Jesus is not just a moral lens in which we view the world. When we understand Jesus and his way, the true and proper way, it gives us a full picture on how you and I can flourish and live in this world and begin to experience his kingdom here on earth today. I know for a lot of us, there is a fear though. I think there is a fear that holds us back from fully leaning in to the truth that is Jesus. And a lot of times we mask that fear with ignorance. And we basically say something to the extent of, well, if I don't think deeply about these issues, if I could just kind of let them go by the wayside, they'll just go away. But as I said, that is no longer becoming an option because we are bombarded every single day. And as I'm gonna show us today, you have a worldview whether you know it or not. And so we're leaning into the way of Jesus, but I really want to answer Pilate's response. Pilate says, what is truth? What is truth? And that's kind of where I want us to go today. So last week, again, if you missed it, we dug deep into the biblical worldview. Today, what I want to do is I want us to begin to understand our cultural worldview. I want us to understand how our world views everything. Now, you're saying to yourself, well, Harrison, like, can, can, I, can you actually like, distinguish like, a full cultural worldview that's why I brought the chair, because <laughs> we're going to learn today. Um, but my job, I believe, and our job as believers is that we need to learn to speak two languages. I think we need to understand the language of scripture, and we also need to understand the language of culture. In other words, we need to learn to be bilingual. We have to be able to go back and forth between the culture and the Bible. It's kind of like this. I have um, a son. His name is Judah. Um, I think he's rocking back there, actually, with my mom. Um, he, he's a year and a half, uh, or not a year and a half. He's like 14 months old. And uh, it's really funny. Judah, uh, he loves um, Google. We have a Google Home. You guys know, like, a Google Home? And so I'm not lying. Like, Judah knows five words. Like, mama, data, cracker, Google. Let's see, four. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, and I was always going to tell this, this story about Judah, but then something happened just to reinforce in case you think I'm lying, his love for Google. We were in the bath on Friday night, and I wasn't. They were. Um, and, like, Judah does this thing where he kind of just drowns. Um, and so uh, we always have to stay close to save him. And so on Friday, he did, I don't even know what happened. He did his thing. He literally just fell backwards straight into the bath. Um, and he can't, like, literally, if no one's there, he, he will, like, literally drown. Um, and so he's down under the water, kind of scary, but I quickly, I go and I grab him, um, pull him close. Like, I'm soaked. I get the towel. He coughs, finishes crying. I'm holding him close. He looks me in the eye. We make eye contact. And he just says, Google. <laughs> That's a true story. He's probably waking up right now because he's here in Google. Um, but, but one of the things uh, that, that Judah and I do on Google is that um, I'll just sit him on my lap. We go in front of the Google home. And the language that, uh, that like, my, my family speaks, it's an Indian language called Telugu. And so we'll sit in front of Google, and I'll say, hey, Google, how do you say, like, I love Judah in Telugu? And then Google, like, quickly translates it, like, da da Judah. I don't speak the language, which is why I need Google. Um, and so we just do this exercise where we just say sentences and then Google translates it. And like Judah loves it for whatever reason. Um, but I also love it. But the cool thing about Google is it has this ability to really quickly input one language and translate it to something else. So what I want us to be able to do is when culture throws stuff at us, when it's getting down your throat, when that person comes on and says, hey, stop scrolling. You know that person? Like, Listen to me for a second. I hate those people. Anyways, <laughs> when they come on your screen and begin to build a worldview, 
I want us to be able to quickly understand that language and then filter it through what Scripture actually says. In other words, our job is to become bilingual. So, as we begin to understand our cultural worldview, what I said last week was that there's two questions everyone should ask in terms of what they think and how they believe. Two questions. Number one, is my worldview logical? In other words, does this make sense? And number two, does it bring me peace? So again, all of us have a worldview. All of us view the world a certain way. Two questions. Does it make sense? And this one's really important. Does it actually bring me peace? What's the fruit? Does how I believe actually, like, listen, in life, like when those, those hard times come, those, those, those scary times, those moments where you don't know what's next, does my worldview actually bring me peace? So what I want to do is I want to analyze the cultural worldview um, and, again, filter it through these lens and these questions, and also creation, fall, redemption. So again, the question you're asking yourself is like, Harrison, how can you actually understand like a culture as a whole? Because don't we all think different? Don't we all view things differently? The answer is yes. But here's where we kind of mix things up, especially in Canada. You see, a lot of times we look at our brothers and sisters, and we think that we have, um, I'll call them macro differences. Like we think that we are so much different than Jimmy over here, uh, and Susie over here. But the truth is, and one of the things that happens with culture, and you guys, if you've been in my circle, you've heard this before, culture is not taught, culture is caught. Meaning, no one has to teach you culture. Simply by existing in Canada, you are a part of the culture. Right? You, you, you become ingrained by osmosis. The best example I can think of is like the longer you're at Kingdom Church, like whether you like it or not, at some point you're going to say, come on, somebody. That's just... <laughs> That's just how culture works, right? Like you hear something enough, it just kind of gets diffused into your bones. And so the thing with, as Canadians is understand this. We have micro differences. All of us are different in some way. But because of culture, we have macro similarities. And I'm going to show us that, that all of us have been formed by our Western modern mind. And we are similar in our overall way in which we think. Now, this is where I'm going to try it. We'll see what happens. I'm going to sit down for a second. The question that we're going to ask ourselves is, as Canadians, where did, and really this is the Western, the Western world, the Western mind, how and where did our worldview come from? So if you guys didn't know this about me, if I wasn't a pastor, I'd be a comedian. <laughs> if I wasn't a comedian, I'd be a social studies teacher. And so lean in for a second because we're going back to like grade eight social studies. And I'm going to try to make sense of the Western mind. So I'm going to kind of deconstruct a little bit. I'm going to show us like our culture. But I first want to show us the roots and kind of how we got to where we are today. And a lot of this stuff, um, as I've said, all series comes from the book Total Truth by Nancy Piercy, which I recommend highly to anyone. So there's a guy. A number of years ago, it was in the 1700s, uh, you may have heard of him, uh, especially if you went to school here in Alberta. I'm positive you've heard of him. But there's a man named Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Anyone remember Rousseau? Come on, somebody. Some people are my teachers at today. You guys have probably taught about Rousseau at some point. Um, now, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, if you don't remember, he was a Genevan philosopher. He was a writer from the Enlightenment era. And he is often thought of as the father of modernity. In other words, he's one of the reasons that like the Western modern mind, a lot of how we think comes from him. He influenced such thinkers as Karl Marx, Vladimir Lenin, Mussolini, Hitler, and more than likely your current professor at the U of A. Anyways, <laughs> this is what I, I picked on professors. It could also be like the person that works at Starbucks or yourself. So Rousseau had this overarching thought. And this is the one I hope rings some bells. He says this. He says, man is born free, yet everywhere he is in chains. Come on, anyone remember this? This was his thought. Man is born free, yet everywhere he is in chains. So essentially, he had this basic paradigm, this way in which he looked at the world. He looked at humans, and he said, when humans are born, they are these free, autonomous creatures with unlimited and ultimate potential. But he says over time what happens is they get sucked into these groups, these social structures, things such as church, the family, so on and so forth. And so he says essentially all of these things take us 
and they chain us and they hold us back from the freedom in which we were born in. Hence his statement, man is born free, yet everywhere he is in chains. So I want to show us, because this is something I'll get to in a second, one way you can begin to distinguish worldviews is by understanding the language and how people speak. So I want to take Rousseau's worldview and I want to put it through the lens of creation, fall, redemption. Because maybe you, as I went through this, like you could kind of see it. If not, I'm going to make it clear, and I'm going to show you again how all worldviews use this lens. So for Rousseau, creation, where do we come from? Essentially this, he had what was called the state of nature, which again was all humans are born as disconnected, autonomous individuals whose sole motivating force is the desire for self-preservation, what he called Self-love. So the ultimate thing that all of us have is this innate thing where we just need to be about ourselves to persevere um, and be totally disconnected. But obviously, as you guys all know, um, life isn't like that. So for him, this is his fall picture. What went wrong? He said, social structures. The reason the world is the way it is is because it is full of artificial, confining, and oppressive structures. All of structures, all society really limits our freedom. And so for him, redemption, like how does it get better then? He says, true freedom is found in deconstructing all societies and social structures. He had four that he thought were the worst in particular. Marriage, family, the church, and the workplace. These four things are the most oppressive and they hold us back from true freedom. Now, this is just a random thought but you may ask yourself, in Rousseau's point of view, how do we achieve this society? He says, quite simply, the state. Each citizen would be completely independent of their fellow man and absolutely dependent on the state. Now, I think it's extremely ironic that he hated social structures, yet he believed the government was not a social structure. Anyways, uh, if you understand history and social studies, you will know, um, kind of, hopefully, if not, we can talk later, why and how he influenced such guys as Karl Marx, Mussolini, Hitler, so on and so forth. But that isn't the purpose for today. Now, some of us are saying, Harrison, great history lesson, so clear, so concise. <laughs> but how and really why are you telling us this? How does this have anything to do with me in Canada in 2023? Now, if you could not, as I was going through this and describing it, I hope at least you began to hear and see things that actually sound very similar to how we think in 2023. And all of it and a lot of it really was born out of this Enlightenment era and what we now call the Western modern mind. But we are not totally Rusarian. However, if there is one thing in our culture that has permeated from the Enlightenment era more than anything when it comes to what we as Canadians value, it is this. And you guys can tell me if I'm wrong, but one of the highest values we have here in the West is what I'm going to call personal autonomy, a.k.a. freedom. Our culture places a high value on personal autonomy and freedom. Now, what I said is one of the ways that you can understand what a culture values is begin to dissect and listen to how a culture speaks. If I know how a culture speaks, then I'll know what they value. When I say, come on, somebody, I'm speaking something, but I want you to respond. Why? Because I value talk back, feedback. You understand? You're like, oh, that's why he says it. Come on, somebody. Um, you can respond now. So how a culture speaks gives us a framework for how a culture thinks. So I want to just give us three, I think, kind of like things we all hear in our culture every single day that really point towards a culture that places a high value on freedom. So number one is this. You guys have all heard this. You do you, I'll do me. Or it's cousin. <laughs> What's right for you isn't necessarily right for me. You guys have heard that? Now, if you didn't know, the undertone to that statement is this idea of personal autonomy, a.k.a. freedom. Look, you can do you. I, listen, I have no issue <laughs> if you do you, but do not tell me what to do. 
You guys understand that? Listen, I was dissecting myself a little bit. You guys remember when I talked about seatbelts a few weeks ago? The reason I don't like seatbelts is because I'm a 2023 Canadian. And I felt like it was infringing on my personal autonomy. <laughs> because, again, as I said, we're all formed by culture, right? You do you, I'll do me. What's right for you isn't right for me. You guys have all heard those, right? I'll give us two more. Um, you guys have heard this one. My body, my choice. Now, generally, that's been used for like female bodily autonomy, but we also heard it during COVID, right? Vaccines, my body, my choice. Which again, is directly this idea of personal freedom. No one and nothing should be able to tell me what I do with my body. No one, nothing can regulate me. Now again, I'm providing social commentary. I'm not really providing opinion, I'll get there later. Because uh, I want us to understand how our culture thinks. So, last one is this, and this is really when it comes to probably more sexuality, um, but you guys have all heard this. Love is love. And the idea behind this paradigm, quite simple, is that no one and nothing should tell you how, who, or what you are to love. Love is totally up to you, right? My freedom, my choice, all of these things. Now, this worldview and this idea of personal autonomy, kind of why I talked about Rousseau. Number one, I love history. But number two, I want us to understand what and how and like where it came from in our culture. Because culture doesn't happen by accident. Thoughts come and they're formed and they are built. And so we live in a culture now places a heavy emphasis on freedom. So I want to take the typical Canadian mind and throw it through the lens of creation, fall, redemption. Can I do that? And I'm going to show you. Everyone uses this paradigm. So quite simple. Um, creation, and this is very similar to Rousseau, but I would say it like this. Um, for us, we are created as free and autonomous individuals. That's what perfection is, total freedom. Now, I'm going to critique this worldview in a moment, but one of the things when it comes to creation is you cannot just tell us what we are. You must also answer where we came from. So I'll get back to that later. But in general, today, the average Canadian would believe we are free, autonomous individuals, um, and that's what's best. So what went wrong? Well, ultimately, it's this. Anything that restricts freedom. If there is something, if there is someone that tells you what to do, how to think, they are wrong. Right? And this list is unlimited. Could be the church, could be your neighbor, could be your friend, could be your husband. Better not be your husband. But if anyone tells you what is wrong, they are automatically and pretty well intrinsically evil because they are infringing on that which is most important, your personal autonomy. Is everyone following? I haven't asked yet. You guys, we're good? So how does it get better? Right? Because very, like, again, we, we, we aren't Rousseau, but a lot of people, whether they know it or not, are like, yeah, man is born free but in chains. Like, get me out of this marriage. Uh, so redemption. Like, how does this get better? Uh, what, what, what does the average Canadian say? Again, pretty simple. Do what is best for you. The best way, the way to redeem the world, do what's best for you, right? Self-care, sleep around, leave your spouse, drugs, alcohol, the list goes on. Just, you got to find out what's good for you. Now, next week, because I've realized that every message kind of builds on each other. So you got to be back next week because I'm going to really critique this idea of and really why God gives us boundaries. So you got to come back next week for that. But as I kind of paint the, the, the cultural worldview of a Canadian uh, and where it comes from, this Enlightenment era, um, I hope that perhaps you kind of felt like something was missing. Like, that's, like, part of the Canadian, but, like, is that the full Canadian, Harrison? Because I feel like there's something else that we value. And if you were paying attention, you're correct. Because I would say as Canadians, we probably value two things. I would say we value personal autonomy, freedom, but I would also say there is a heavy value on being justice-orientated. Would you guys agree with that? Right? In the West, we're very justice-oriented. And you've seen this in the last couple of years, right? Social justice, whether it's marginalized group, racial minorities, sexual minorities, women, disabled, whatever it may be, there's a, a strong cultural emphasis on this idea that everyone should be treated with equality, dignity, and respect. That's just something we value. Would you guys agree? And so the question we must ask again 
is where did this come from? And why do we value this as a culture? Now, we can look at Rousseau and his worldview, and I hope I don't have to explain it to you, but his worldview doesn't really make sense for a culture that also strongly values justice, equality. Where did this come from? Well, I'm pleased to tell you that our culture is influenced, I think, by that, that Western liberal mind, but it is also heavily influenced by someone named Jesus of Nazareth. And whether we know it or not, and this is why I called the message, message How Christianity Changed the World, and you can look into this, you can fact check me, the idea of equality is literally a foreign idea. It doesn't exist until Jesus comes around. I was, man, I ran out of time. I have a fantastic quote. If I can find it next week, um, I'll share it with you guys. But um, he was an atheist, and he essentially said this. He said the idea um, of equality, he said, it is 100% a Christian idea. And he's, he's an atheist. He, he's literally saying, like, it, for me, for my belief system, he's like, equality does not make sense. We borrow it 100% from Christianity, right? And so in our culture, because our culture isn't some like <laughs> immoral, no God, liberal culture. No, like the roots of the North America, like there's, a, there's a heavy Christian influence if you understand it. But right now we kind of live in this culture where we have these two competing ideals. We have self-autonomy and we have justice, and the question we have to ask ourselves for the, for the typical Canadian, does how they view the world make sense? Can I have that water, Amy? Thank you so much. I'm just going today. So, <clears throat> Nancy Piercy puts it like this. She says, in evangelism, our task is to bring people face-to-face -face with the contradiction between what a person says he believes and what his whole life is telling him. I love this. Essentially what he's saying is like, because we can all say, this is what I believe. This is what I think is true. But the secondary question is this, what is your life actually telling you? What are you seeing tangibly as you view and understand the world? So what I want to do is I want to deconstruct the modern view. Deconstruction is a buzzword. I'm going to deconstruct the modern view. Can I do that real quickly? So, we have to essentially work backwards and ask ourselves the question, does what I believe match up with what's all around me? So you guys might have heard about Rousseau and man is born free everywhere he's in chains. Maybe you're a classic liberal Canadian, just like, hey, you know what, like it's all about freedom. Uh, don't need no one else. You do, you do. The question is this, does the world and what we see all around us, does it confirm with that idea? In other words, this understanding that I am born autonomous and free, and that is how I need to be, does that actually line up with reality? Well, I'm pleased to announce that I believe the prophet Tupac Shakur <laughs> said it best. He said it like this. He said, we all came from a woman, got our name from a woman, got our game from a woman. So here's the question, and like, I, I'm, I'm in the midst of it, right? I got, I got three kids under three. Are us as humans, are we really born as free, autonomous individuals that don't need anyone? What does reality tell us? <laughs> okay. <laughs> no! <laughs> From the moment you come out of the womb, you need someone. There's a principle I want you to understand. You can write this down. Our design helps reveal our destiny. And so when we can begin to see how God has designed us, it'll begin to reveal what and how we are supposed to live. And so from the moment we are born, we are totally dependent on someone other than ourselves. And most of us grow up with this belief, which is actually a lie, that says, as I grow, I must become totally and completely independent. Now, you should probably move out of your mama's basement. I'm not saying stay there forever. But what I'm saying is that the truth is, the more disconnected we are, the worse we actually become. That's just facts. That's just statistics. I shared with you guys some mental health facts. 
in week one of this series, but there's this empirical evidence as it goes on and on. COVID gave us great statistics. The more alone we are, the more disconnected we become, the worse we end up being. And so again, we have to begin to ask ourselves, okay, well, does what I say is true line up with reality? So when it comes to, again, the redemption model, well, what's redemption? Well, redemption is total freedom. Do whatever you want, no restraints, follow your appetite. Again, what does our design tell us about that belief system? And again, man, I just think study little kids and you'll become a great person because they give you so many life lessons. Here's the thing. Again, I got three kids under three, soon to be four under four. Come on, somebody. (laughs) We don't sleep. Um, One of the things I know is that if I let my kids do what they want to do, you know what they want to do? They want to eat popsicles every single meal. Steady diet of sugar and the things that are terrible for you. If I let my kids do whatever they want to do, they'd be diabetic by age four. That's just the reality. And so this is a principle. It looks different when you're a kid, but it is the exact same no matter how old you get. If you ultimately say to yourself, I can and do whatever I want to do, and that is what is right for me, that is what will get me freedom, what you will find, come back next week, is that ultimately that will put you in bondage. Freedom is not found in the absence of restrictions, but it is found in finding a healthy understanding of them, which next week I'm preaching the truth that hurts. That's what it's called. Come back next week. So does that make sense? Again, no. When it comes to the worldview, hope you guys make sense, but the overall worldview, like, does it line up with reality? Not so much, but here's the biggest contradiction of them all, which is the heavy emphasis we have on justice. And as a believer, understand this, we should always be at the front of the line when it comes to justice and equality and being for everyone because that is distinctly a Jesus idea. However, here's the question. If I don't believe in Jesus... I believe maybe we came from nothing, billions of years of death, decay, that eventually became an ape, that became me. The question I must ask myself is where and why would I ever care about anyone other than me? And that is something that we must truly wrestle with. So I told you guys for the modern Canadian, we're left with the question of where do we come from, right? We can say I'm a free um, being, but okay, where'd you come from? So really, you basically have, I think, two kind of ideals on where we came from. Number one, you can have the evolutionary Darwinian worldview, right, which is we came from a long line of evolution, cell, big bang, all that stuff, to today, right, fast forward in a couple billion years. So you have that worldview, totally fine, but the question you must ask yourself is if I have based a worldview on the survival of the fittest, on this idea that everything that is not good, not great, will eventually be either just gone with genetic mutation, so on and so forth. The question I must ask myself is why would I ever be bent towards someone that has anything um, that would be classified as less than? As a Darwinian naturalist, you must ask yourself this, why would I ever care about a handicapped person? That is a question you must ask yourself. As a Darwinian naturalist, you must ask yourself this, why would I ever care about a homosexual? who has no chance of reproducing, who has no chance of carrying forth the very thing that life needs. And so you're forced to look at these things and ask ourselves again, does what I believe match up with everything that is happening inside of me? Now, number two, because you say, no, Harrison, I'm a Christian, like I, I believe God, but I also believe in freedom. Amen. So if you believe in God, where did you ever get the idea of 100% personal autonomy, no matter what. Where did it come from? I can tell you this 100%, it did not come from scripture. And I'm gonna share a verse in a moment of what I believe it looks like to follow Jesus. And so, here's the thing. We can call ourselves whatever we wanna call ourselves. Labels don't really matter. When I look at the statistics, <laughs> like of the, you know, the 70% that followed Jesus, but have, or the 30%, whatever the numbers were that followed Jesus, but like, haven't committed to him. Like You can call yourself whatever you want to call yourself is the point I'm trying to make. The question is, how do I live? What am I actually believing? And so what I want to do 
is I want to really just quickly just understand again, like, the biblical worldview. Like, how does the biblical worldview help me understand what's going on around us, right? So again, when it comes to Christianity, pretty simple. What do we believe? Well, we believe that we are made in the image of God. Every single person has intrinsic value. No matter what you believe, no matter your sex, your gender, your ethnicity, you are of value. Whether I agree with you, disagree with you, whether I think what you're doing is moral, immoral, you still have value. Life and human life, all human life, has intrinsic value. From the womb to the tomb, human life has value. That's what we believe as followers of Jesus. And so, as we look at the world, that helps us understand, because my design determines my destiny. That's why when something outrageous happens, like when a video comes where someone is being choked out for seven minutes, that's why I cannot watch it and not be stirred. That is why when I see oppression, inequality, hate, slander, something inside of me doesn't agree with it because we are created in the image of God and every human has value. But as we see those things, because it's like, well, Harrison, why do those things happen? We have the answer. It's because we live in a fallen world. Because in this world, God has given every single person, listen to this, God has given us autonomy. The question is, what are we going to do with it? Whether we know it or not, we have autonomy, and God allows everyone to do that which they want. But what we know as believers, and what the Bible lets us know, is that the further we move away from God, it is not the better that we become, it is the worse. And so listen to this. As Christians, when we view the world... We look at things like, how can this be made better? What can change? What can improve? But I'll tell you this. We do not blame social structures for why the world is the way it is. That is not a biblical worldview. Now, sometimes structures need to change. Sometimes they need to improve. But this idea that is only systems and structures, and if we just educated ourselves better than everyone would love, that is not a biblical worldview. The biblical worldview is that there is a God who came down in the midst of our sin, in the midst of the craziness, and said, I'm offering a way out. I'm offering a way better. And on the cross, he displayed ultimately what he felt about his creation. That the, the Bible tells us, for God so loved us that he gave his only son that whoever shall believe in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And so how does this get better? How does our world get better? It is by believing and if you didn't know this, our church is called Kingdom Church because we believe that Jesus is a mandate in Scripture, that the kingdom of heaven is not far away. The kingdom of heaven lives and begins here and now. And so the world gets better, not by looking to the government, not by looking to people, but by looking within the church and asking ourselves, how can we begin to bring the kingdom of heaven here? And if you did not know this, don't believe any of the stuff that you hear because a lot of people will say, well, Christians don't do anything. False. Christians worldwide are the number. I shared these hats a few weeks ago. We gave more in 2022 to causes than any other organization in the world. Christian churches outgave the government. Why? Because it's our biblical mandate to make the world a better place, to usher the kingdom here and now. And so listen, I said it last week. We live in the in-between. We live in the in-between. We live in between redemption and ultimately glorification where God will bring us home. And so our job is to bridge the gap and give people peace. And I believe, listen to this, a way to view the world that makes sense, that actually makes sense. And, and this is kind of just, you know, an overview, and, and maybe you want to go deeper, and we can talk later. But I happen to believe that to follow Jesus is the most logical worldview that there is. And it explains the deepest parts of my soul and ex explains my bent towards justice, my bent towards equality. And it explains why I do not and cannot sit and look at the world and believe that it is what it should be. Because God has mandated we make it better. Claire, can you come up here for a second? Thank you. But here's what I know to be true. And here's what I want to close on. I know there are a lot of people here today. And ultimately, this message is good. You're like, Harrison, I have a little more ammo as I walk out into the world. But I know for a lot of us here today, if we're being true to ourselves, the reason that we are not following Jesus is not because of the logic or because we don't think it makes sense. It's because most of us know intrinsically this truth, 
that when I follow Jesus, I must come face to face with a decision. And the decision is quite simple. Am I Lord of my life? Do I determine what I do, how I think, what is right or what is wrong? Or ultimately, will I bend my knee to the King of kings and the Lord of lords and say, Jesus, have your way in me? And I know there are people here today that have been on the fence because you know the cost. It's like, Harrison, I know if I fully follow Jesus, I can't go back to the way I was. I can't think that way. I can't live that way. Harrison, there's some places I can't go. There's some people I probably shouldn't be around for a while. And I know there are people that have counted the cost and said, you know what, it's just too high. It's just too high. But I want to make the appeal today that at the end of the day, it's not a question of what will it cost me if I follow Jesus. It's more so what will my life look like if I leave behind the one that actually makes sense of everything, the only one that can promise me peace, the only one that can give me logic and understanding and ultimately freedom. And so Jesus has an appeal in Matthew chapter 16. If you can stand up, I want to just, I want to invite you into this because Jesus is inviting us into this as well. Matthew chapter 16. If it's on the screen, we'll see. Oh, there we go. Jesus told his disciples, the ones that were to follow him, the ones that called themselves apprentices, believers. He says, if anyone would come after me, and this is the part that should dive a knife into the Canadian mind, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? So with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you're here today and you don't even need to know the full picture or, or understand everything, but if you see a picture, you feel this, this thing inside of you that's, that's calling, that's urging, that's saying, hey, there's a better way. There's a better way. It's the Jesus way. If that's you today, with every head bowed, every eye closed, could you just show me your hand? You're saying, Harrison, I want to lean into that way. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. As a church, can we just raise our hands for a second? I just want us to come in agreement with what I'm going to pray. You can open them up. You can raise them high, whatever it may be. Jesus, we come into agreement with your word. God, you are the truth. And so, Lord, I just pray for anyone that's teetering on the fence, God, that they step over into life and life abundant. God, do what only you can do. Make a way in a hard heart, in a broken heart, in a broken place. We pray for hope. We pray for healing. We thank you for what you're doing, God. We love you. In your name, amen. Amen. Come on, let's clap our hands. Hey, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to that message. If you made a decision to follow Jesus or you want more information about our church, head over to kingdomchurch.ca. We would love to get in contact with you. Until next time, take care.